Just like we want to put the magic back into your career, our goal is bringing the magic back to building design by eliminating the overly complex and anti-creative elements of building information modeling. Learn more at arcol.io. That's A-R-C-O-L dot I-O. I think that has been a gift of my career that I'm not afraid of change. And switching in roles and switching in industries, kind of, right? I've always kind of been within the built environment. I think that has kept me on my toes. I think it has kept my skills sharp. It's helped me understand what my real skills are. And yeah, I'm proud of that. Welcome to Tangents by Out of Architecture. Out of Architecture is a career resource network helping designers apply their incredible talents in untraditional ways. We're highlighting some of our favorite stories from the amazing people we've met along the way. We will hear how they created a unique career path for themselves from the wide variety of skills and talents they developed in and out of architecture. This is your host, Sylvia Lee, and I'm excited to share that this season we're highlighting our Out of Architecture community members. At the end of each episode, you'll hear a little bit from a community member about where they are in their career journey. So make sure you listen to the end. Our guest today is Eben Falconer, Global Marketing and Business Development Leader and Senior Associate Principal at SOM. Here Eben share her experiences changing roles throughout her career and how not being afraid of change has opened up new opportunities for her. To start up, our favorite question is, how would you describe yourself in three words? The first word is definitely curious. And maybe if you'd only given me an option for one word, I would still say just curious. I am driven. These are, again, to be missing the caveat of like, these are professional words. Uh, and then the other is empathetic. I love the social aspect of my job. I really like working with other people. And I truly believe that you can get the best work from people when they feel valued and heard and respected. So I think being an empathetic colleague and an empathetic leader is is really important to me. And I, I can't wait to hear more of that as we hear about your career journey. And what is your background in architecture? So I will should right off the bat admit that I'm not an architect. Um, so technically, I don't need to be out of architecture because I was never in the center of it anyhow. I studied architecture history, both undergrad and my master's. I worked in architecture firms and also in organizations around the built environment coming out of school. And I thought I wanted to be an architect and, and had the good fortune to work at really at one particularly good firm in, in Seattle that was formative, not only in terms of starting my career, but also in terms of setting my expectations for how one should be treated. And so from there, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to architecture school because I'm interested in architecture, but I didn't, I didn't do design classes in, in college. And I applied to architecture school and I got in. And then I had this sort of sinking feeling that this actually wasn't the right thing for me. Maybe it wasn't, I guess, just the realization that that wasn't what I wanted to do at that moment. And that three years is a big commitment of time and of money. And so I ended up changing my mind in what my dad refers to as the great bait and switch of my 20s. I ended up needing to do a, a master's of architecture history and theory instead. And, and it's a, kind of an unusual program at Yale, the master's of environmental design program, in that it's very 
self-directed and open-ended. You come in with a research project and you leave doing a thesis project. Most of us at the time were doing written thesis projects. And my project was on the relationship between nationalism and promotion in contemporary Danish architecture. It's a very small program. I had two classmates and it was in an architecture school. So all my friends were architects. Um, and from there, I graduated and kind of the running joke amongst friends in, in school was, what are you going to do with this degree? And then I graduated into the recession. And the deep irony was that the architects had an extremely hard time finding work. And because I was a little left of center in terms of my career path, I, I was able to find work, which was, you know, who got the last laugh then? I thought at the time I wanted to be a curator. I went and did an internship at the Museum of Modern Art in the Architecture and Design Department for summer, which was extremely fun. And then I went and um, got a job working for Stephen Hull doing business development and marketing. And I had done some of that. I'd, when I had interned at a firm before, I had worked in the marketing department. So I, and I was I'm a writer and I was at that point had the ability to use InDesign. So um, that suited me really well. And I was there for a little over a year when I got the opportunity to go and work for Big, which had just had, was just opening its New York office. So this was in 2010. And that was really the formative experience for me and formative plan in my career to get to be there, not only because of my Danish um, heritage and connection to Denmark, and not only because I had written about Big for my thesis, but also because it was a firm that was starting up here in, in the U.S. and was in an intense business development mode. And so it was just a really, really exciting time to be with that firm. And so I was there for, for six years, leading business development here for North and South America. And it was, it was really fun and hard and crazy. You know, we started at 13 people and by the time I left, we were 200. So it was like, I describe it as like working in six different firms in six, in six years because there was so much growth and change. After that, I went and wanted to try something different. So I went and worked doing institutional strategy for Columbia GSAP. So I wanted to try working on, uh, for an, on the institutional side. And I was there for two years. I left that after um, having our kid, decided I wanted to try yet again, try something new. And I went and joined another Danish firm that had an office in New York, the urban design firm Gale. Um, and I was there for, there for two years. Um, then decided again to try something different, but wasn't quite sure what was next. Um, so I consulted a bit for a few months and then I joined SOM in August of 2020. And I have been here ever since working as the global marketing and business development leader. I, I like how you said that three years into your, um, education, you're like, I'm going to make this big switch. And it is a big switch. You know, if you think about people making switch now after maybe 10 years plus in to their career like that's even more of time like and that's like so many skills learned and like you know licensing exams so I'm curious what it was that you just realized it wasn't for you um like so early and so con confidently yeah I mean so I didn't even I didn't even I didn't it was I didn't do three years in architecture school I, I like I did um, nine months of applying to architecture school. I guess I did, uh, and, and one career discovery summer at, at, at the GSD, which I describe as like baby architecture school in the best way. I 
think, I mean, change is hard and change can be scary, but as as you can see from my career, I mean, I've made a lot of changes and I, I guess maybe, maybe that's a word to describe me. I'm not afraid of, of change. I think in any, if anything else, I'm afraid of complacency and maybe because I've just had these changes happen earlier in my career, I've had the experience of graduating into a, into a very unstable economy and, and having to rethink what my career path might be, even though it was at a very early age. So it wasn't so much, um, there wasn't so much of kind of my ego or my finances riding on it because I had no job, right? I, I, th- I think that has been a gift of my career. There's not many gifts for my career, but one of them I think is that I'm, that I have not, I'm not afraid of change and switching in roles and switching in industries, kind of, right? I've always kind of been within the built environment. It's not like I went and did two years as a accountant and then was a dentist and then did what I'm doing. Like it's not, it's not huge, huge changes, but I think that has kept me on my toes. I think it has kept my skills sharp. It's helped me understand what my real skills are. Um, and yeah, I'm proud of that. Uh, and like I said, it's, I think it's just a gift, a gift that my career has given me that, um, that I find really exciting. But I completely understand why it's the idea of change can become quite destabilizing. And I've seen it. I've seen people who get stuck in a place or I think maybe the biggest risk of not changing is that you stop imagining that things could be different. I see that, like, you know, I, I made reference to the first firm. Their first architecture firm that I worked for was a really positive work environment. And I will always give credit to my dad who gave me some of the best career advice that I ever got, which was choose your first job carefully because it will set the tone for how you will be treated in the rest of your career. And this firm, I, uh, which is a firm called Weinstein Architects and Urban Designers in Seattle, they treated everyone really kindly and they treated their interns well and they were interested in our careers and, and in, our, in our professional growth, even though they knew that we weren't going to be there for very long. And so that set my expectation. This is how you treat people in a job. And when I was at places where that wasn't the case, I knew that I needed to make an exit plan and I knew that there were other options out there. And I think there's a lot of benefits to being a lifer somewhere. And there's a lot of people who, who've had incredible careers where they've had their entire career in one place. They've managed to have different experiences and different roles within, within one organization. But I think one of the potential downsides that you see when people have spent a whole career somewhere is, yeah, they, they can't imagine how things could be. And if you can't imagine it, then you're not going to push for it. You're not going to try to change it yourself. So that's, that's been a, an, a side effect positive side effect for me, I think, of, of career changes. Yeah, absolutely. You can see that each switch you made kind of opened new opportunities. Like, and it's, it's really amazing to be able to see all of that happen and be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I remember, um, sorry, I was just talking with someone about this recently, that when I was in college and in grad school, I had a lot of informational interviews with people whom I admired. And they were often much older. So if I was in my early 20s, they would be in their 50s, maybe even their 60s, like close to retirement, um, some of them. And I remember thinking like, I want to do what you're doing right now. And so of course I would ask them, how did you get there? And then they would tell me these like meandering stories of how they got to where they were. And at the time, it was actually 
kind of frustrating because I because it's just like, well, you know, they had these all these serendipitous encounters and these decisions and and that got them to where they are, but it wasn't a straight line. And I was like, I wouldn't do what they're doing now. What's the straight line to what they do? So at the time it was yeah, kind of disappointing or frustrating in some ways. Um, but now when I look at I think, again, what a gift. Like I, I look back and I'm still mid-career. I don't know where, what one would categorize me. And I see those twists and turns in my own career paths and, and I'm really grateful for them. Hey everyone, it's Jake from Out of Architecture. This episode is sponsored by Arcole. We gave Revit a pretty hard time throughout of architecture mostly because you didn't go to architecture school to spend your days stuck fiddling around with detailing drawing sets or waiting for a file to open. Arcole is bringing the magic back to building design by developing a BIM tool that is as creative and collaborative as you are. If you'd like to help build the future of BIM, head over to arcole.io and join in their closed beta for early access to their new platform. That's A-R-C-O-L I remember when I was younger talking to older architects, but they would always be much more senior. Like for someone coming out of school, the gap between starting out and yeah. getting anywhere where you feel somewhat comfortable is such a large gap to span. And also, like even when I talk to students nowadays, it's like, I don't know exactly what to tell you that can help you immediately because there's so much ahead of them. And then I guess it's kind of, you can give them the confidence to pursue that long journey ahead and just be open-minded perhaps. But the hard skills that will get you from A to B are like, it's not very defined or easy to share. Yeah. I mean, I, I've thought about how I think particularly people early in their career, so I would put my past self in this too, you know, was very kind of focused on kind of thinking about like a career as a ladder, you know, <laughs> you start at the bottom. And over time, you get to the top. So it's like very one directional and it's, and it's purely thought about from a directional standpoint. I think it's more useful to think about it as, I've used this metaphor before, as, like, as a backpack. I think it's a collection of skills and experience that you, one doesn't necessarily come before another. I think particularly if you're interested in having a, a less traditional career path, the latter kind of either is not attractive to you or it just doesn't apply to kind of how you're you're doing that that wandering. But if you can think about it like, okay, in this job, I got this experience. And on this other job, I developed these sorts of skills. And you kind of are constantly putting those back in your backpack as, as, as uh, no, my backpack metaphor is going to fail me, but I don't know, as nourishment for the long journey. I think it helps reframe how to think about one's career. And I think, you know, guys, I imagine for the people who listen to this podcast, are interested in exploring a, a kind of a non-traditional career or a non-traditional path. And it, it can be disconcerting if you've, if you've thought, oh, I'm just going to be an architect and first I'm going to start as an intern and then I'm going to be a junior designer and then I'm going to be a senior designer or you know, whatever, the, whatever the steps are within your particular firm. It can be disorienting if, to all of a sudden kind of get knocked off that ladder and either, either take yourself off it or get knocked off of it and say, okay, now what do I have? If I don't have that, how do I define what I've done so far? But I can imagine, I mean, you, if you left a career in architecture, so you, you know, you had to have these, these thoughts with yourself or these conversations about how do you redefine what your skills were and how, how do they translate into something else? Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you was that you kind of said that through each 
switch or each step of your career, you kind of realized what your strong assets were that really made you shine in each experience? I think a lot of mine, because I was in architecture so long, is the very work related, like how to be a hard worker or like very diligent, very detail oriented, you know, like how many times is detail oriented going to pop up on someone's resume? Right. And and actually, when I switched to tech, those being good at like getting work done was still something I relied on. But now it's kind of like, how do I be more actionable, get things done faster or more quickly? So I'm very curious to hear what yours are, because I'm hoping it's not as focused on just producing work. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, I uh, especially in the role that I'm in now where I so I, I came my previous roles at Stephen Hall at Big to a certain extent at Gale. You know, I was in a client facing business development role. So my my job was to, depending on the role, be working on. RFQs and RFPs and you know positioning us for work, um, and then some of the rules be just much more client facing, and so there were some hard skills that I had. Like I know how to put, I know how to not only put together a strong proposal, but I know how to project manage a proposal. And now in my role at SOM, I am managing a team of people who who do that, or in some ways I I supervise a group of managers who manage teams who who lead that work. So. I'm a few more, I'm like at arm's length from uh, from our, our, our day-to-day deadlines or week-to-week deadlines. And that is a shift for me. I'm used to being kind of right there in there and doing that. And so it, it, it has helped for me to think about, okay, that skill I, I have mastered and I think it's a really important one to have. But now the things that I'm working on are much kind of bigger strategic projects. Some days I'm extremely nostalgic for having a deadline, a weekly deadline, because you do it and then it's done and then you finish the week and you can, and then it's behind you, right? Now all of my projects are like six month to a year long projects and they have multiple sub projects. And so it's, it's, um, it's not often that I can just like pick cross something off my list and they're like, oh, I did it. It's done. And I don't have to think about it anymore. But I think to, I'm going to go back to your question. I think what I've realized one of my or I've learned through time kind of my one of my strengths are it, it is to set a strategic vision and also really, really help firms think about how do we approach business development? What are the kind of what are our overall goals? How do we turn whether, you know, it's a big ship, kind of turn a big ship and, and, and shift in that way? Um, and build a culture of business development. So that that is what I get. That's what I'm very excited about today that I get to work on. Um, but I have gone from kind of collecting more task-based skills uh, to more to now gaining more strategy abilities. I think that comes with time. So when I t- sometimes I talk to people who are interested in a career in business development, I'm going to do strategy. I'm like, well, Cool. Strategy is like, is fun, fun, but like, you also need to know how to do these com- component pieces of it. And once you can start to do more of that, then you can build on top of it and, and layer in more sort of what I guess higher and higher level strategy. Can you share a little bit about what marketing and business development and strategy are for architecture firms? Because I think it's completely different outside of architecture. And then even within architecture, I I believe the way that you handle it is also different, a little different than traditional architecture firms. 
Yeah. So I, I tend to use the word business development more than I do marketing for a couple of reasons, which I can touch on later. But I, the way I define business development is it's everything that a firm does or a person does to get work. So it's an extremely broad definition. And, you know, it's everything from the RFQ, RFP work to client relationships, to negotiation, to transforming a relationship through with a client through a project. All of that is business development in my mind. I think the most important pieces of it are strategy, kind of like making a plan for where you want to go, not only where you want to go, but how you're going to do it. I think storytelling is extremely important in business development uh, in any industry. Um, and then ultimately, it's also it's all about relationships. So those kind of strategy, storytelling and relationships is how I if you if you can bring all three of those together, you have a strong platform for business development. When you were switching um, from one place to another, was it more similar to applying to a position or was it kind of like we're going to kind of like create this role that may not exist at the firm already? A little bit of both. I've had a number of uh, let's create a role together positions. Uh, let's see. Let's go back in time. Uh, I mean, Stephen Hole, I applied for a role that was posted big. I can't remember if they had. You know, I don't think they had posted something yet. I had I had known because I'd written my thesis in part on big. I had become um, friendly with the partner who was in charge of business development, a great guy and mentor, Kai Uwe Bergman. And when I was thinking about leaving Stephen Hull, I reached out to him and I said, um, I'm thinking about leaving. He's like, I think we should talk. And then I think I had a ball of Bjarke like later that afternoon. or It, it, it kind of went pretty quickly, which was exciting because they were just starting to think about how they were going to hire in, in New York. When I went to Columbia GSAP, that was a position that we made up. <laughs> I was director of strategic initiatives. It was an institutional strategy. So, yeah, that definitely wasn't, was not like a, a position that had existed beforehand. And when I went to Gale, it was also a new position. Uh, when I came to SOM, it was, it was not a new position, but it was a position that was, that was in transition. So they were changing how they were thinking about the role. So, I, yeah, I've done, I've done both. Is there a bit of storytelling in that as well, where you're maybe you have a vision and then you have to share that vision to the prospective firm and kind of create it together? Like what how do those meetings or like how does that conversation go? I mean, they're really they're really rooted in relationships. So. It's a lot easier to have an open ended conversation about a potential role when you already know the person, which probably me sharing that can be both exciting and frustrating because if someone's trying to make a change and they're like but I don't know anyone does that mean that this can't happen but yeah I, I mean it, it helps that they were it was all you know with with Columbia I had gotten to know the dean at the time Amon Drouse and said I'm thinking about leaving I'm thinking I'm interested in doing something like this she's like we're interested in doing something like that would you you know should we come up with something together and same when I was at Gale um, so for me I think it does help, though, that I have like a core set of skills, right? It's very hard to come to a potential employee and say, or employee, it's a potential employer and say, hey, do you want to hire me? I'm really, I'm really cool. <laughs> like, I, did, I do need to line up with some, I need, to, I need to align with kind of where that company is heading and where, where their goals are. And I've also, I've learned that in making some of those changes that sometimes the cha sometimes those new positions, when they don't ultimately align with where, what the company is trying to do, then 
you feel that that has that has been a I guess a negative but also positive realization through my career that you still you know most companies aren't going to look for just to have someone over there just thinking about strategy right you you need to line up with what the changes that the company is 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 undergoing thank you for sharing that like it could be frustrating to hear that someone's like I got my roles through relationships but I think you also highlighted that you can create those relationships very much and like you can turn just a meeting into someone into a second meeting so um and actually that's how this podcast actually got started which I we mentioned a little Mm -hmm. earlier it's just I knew Jake and Erin I really wanted to take my previous skills that were like, I, you know, I published a podcast before. I was like, well, I could do that for you. And, and actually it took several months, like they were interested, but even then it took several months of meetings just to, and then a few more just to get it off the ground. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind that you can make change very quickly. And especially if you're doing it through relationships to like give yourself that time and space to create this new role or opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. If you're, if you're like, if you're looking for a job right now, it's a hell of a lot easier to just apply through like someone's post to have description because then at least a company or a person has confirmed that we have this specific need, and if you can match that specific need, you're golden. I mean, another my another, you can tell that my dad is kind of my um, career uh, counselor, I guess. Another really good piece of advice that he gave me was. When you are thinking about making a change to keep a list, kind of like a running list. And he actually, he had it as a journal. I had it as a Google Doc, which says something about generational changes, where you write down, you know, semi-regularly what you like doing, what you're good at. And that can be everything from what you want to be doing. That can be everything from like really specific skills. Like I feel very happy when I redline a document or, you know, some, you know, there's some deep satisfaction of like, Look, this this came in looking like this, and I sent it back out better to higher level desires or ambitions. And he recommended, you know, because my dad's someone who's also made some big career shifts, to do that over time, and you'll start to see some trends. He also said you tend not to lie to yourself. Like you might lie to yourself the first time you just hit, or, or kind of be like, oh, I really am fascinated. I want to by this, and then you're kind of like, I don't know why I wrote that. That was like for appearances only. Even though I'm the only one who reads this document. He said, he said, over time, you know, you will start to see some, some patterns that will help you identify kind of where, what the next thing might be. And so I've, I've always, I've always done that. I've always kind of had a list of what do I like? And it, it does shift over time, but what's interesting is not tremendously. Um, maybe that's so something about the point in my career that I'm in. Um, but I've also always used it to keep a list of people that I want to talk to and not because I am like seeking to work with them, but I, I've kind of cultivated a group of people who have given me really good career advice in the past and have helped me step back from, you know, looking at my career from two inches away and said, okay, what does it look like from 10 feet or 30,000 feet? What are your, what are your skills and how could those transfer? And that, that has been a kind of a, a wonderful tool for me. Um, that I still use. I'm still jotting down what I what I'm excited about, what I care about, who do I want to talk to, because that's kind of a compulsion. I guess this part. <laughs> it's a very long Google Doc. Oh, that's awesome. And are there things that pop up repeatedly, like each time, and then after a certain amount of time, you're like, maybe I should really pursue this because it keeps popping up every time. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's what my dad 
you know, that's why he made the recommendation um, is because that starts to happen. And definitely before I've made some big changes, I've seen some trends in that in that document. I think the things that have that have um, started to become real red threads in my career, things that I know are important is that this this is kind of funny thing to admit, but like it's important for me to feel useful. Like I've been in roles sometimes where I where it was unclear kind of what my goals were or if I was valued by the organization. And I don't mean that in like in terms of salary or title, but I think did I feel like I was contributing in a way was important to me and that and that me, my presence was helping make things better. And that is that's really important to me. And it, it makes me kind of maybe sound like I'm describing myself like a like a like I'm a tool, like make me a useful tool. But that is something that I realized through doing that exercise. I've also realized that I'm I really enjoy being in organizations in moments of transition that like an organization that is starting or pivoting or experiencing or has an ambition to to for a lot of growth. That is a um, that's a happy place for me. Those are really great, insightful ways to look at yourself and what you like to do instead of like tasks that you like to do or results. It's more so like something that you're going to be doing for every day, you know, maybe for the next few decades, perhaps. Yeah, though, I, I wouldn't actually over over like dismiss the enjoyment of tasks because, you know, I've seen people who. You know, there's that whole idea that people get promoted out of the thing that they do well. Like you see some people get promoted to be a manager. You know, they used to be a designer and now they're in a management role. And what they really excelled at was designing. And in that manager role, it was it's primarily people management or process management. And now all of a sudden, the people that they're managing are getting to do the work that they actually really excelled at. That kind of that's kind of a dilemma you see in um in creative industries, probably in professional services in general. But so I think to have an awareness about what tasks you enjoy, like there's a woman on our team, you know, it talks about like, do you get great satisfaction from getting a red line document and like fixing everything? There's a, there's a woman on our team who's a graphic designer who told me once, she's like, I really, really feel good when I'm, when I'm fixing things. She's like, you know, is it the thing that I want to do 100% of my time? No, but she's like, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And like for her to have the, the awareness that 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 she needs that and that that makes her feel like it was a, a, a job, a good day on the job or a good week on the job. Like that's that's really important. Yeah, that's actually a great question that managers and even people can bring to their managers about like sharing that information of what fills their cup when they do it. And also with the caveat that maybe they don't want to do it every time, but they still enjoy doing it. Yeah. And even sharing the things they don't like to do, even if you have to do it, just sharing that you you don't really love doing it is also good information for everyone to have. Yeah. And how do you how do you find that balance? My so my old boss at, at Big Kai, he always said that when we were looking to hire a new person, the business development team, he's like, every job has what he called donkey work. Like every job has the stuff that isn't fun. And whether you're an intern or whether you're a global leader like literally every single job has 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 donkey work and i think the there's kind of two questions to ask is the other stuff good enough for you that you can kind of deal with the donkey work i hope so because like every job has it uh and also what's the ratio <laughs> like if you're not mean that your job is 90 percent things you don't like that's a really strong indication that um 
that you're in the wrong job. I agree with you when you said that, like, um, you want to feel useful. I feel like a mid-career architect is probably possibly if they're not like moving up in the firm, they're going to be in a role where so many things are repetitive, especially if things aren't working smoothly, like and the same thing happens every project. That's a very easy source of frustration that you will automatically create. So, I mean, I resonate with that. Like, I want to feel like my time is well spent if I'm going to spend so many hours sitting at this desk. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's there's this whole conversation about like, you know, the the gen, the next generation is all about finding meaning in their work, which I think is, I think that is a trend. But it's not like those of us who are older didn't want meaning in our work. But I think there's meaning and then there's also satisfaction and they're related to one another. But I think they're also they support one another, but they're not identical. One can one can find a lot of hopefully find satisfaction in your work and then that would give that work meaning. I don't think that it, this maybe a stereotype is like, oh, everyone who is in their 20s just wants to go and like work in a nonprofit. It's like, no, they want it. They don't want to feel like a cog, right? Like, I feel like what, like they're contributing in some fashion. And whether that means they're contributing kind of on a societal level or, you know, just in air quotes here within a company, that, that matters. And you mentioned that as for business development, everything that brings a firm work, how much of that is actually like internal operations? Because streamlining that can also make it easier for a firm to get work, right? Yes. There's a lot of internal operations that has an impact on kind of the success of business development. I mean, or just the success of a business in general, right? Like I remember hearing a story once about bringing in a new CFO and they were like, you know, we're not I don't make enough money. And they're like, well, she's, you know, she's like looking at their work. She's like, well, you're doing, you're doing a lot of work. Like, why aren't you? And she's like, did you send out invoices? And they're like, shoot, that was the thing. Like, forgot, you know, like, you know, very uh, basic things. Like if you, if you, it's one thing to do the work, you also need to remember to invoice for it. So yeah, there's a lot of internal operations that, that if they're not done right, will undo all of the other good work that you did. I mean, I think about with business development, there's a ton of external stuff, right? There's all those relationships with clients. There's that kind of cultivating that network that that is ex- external, but there's also a lot of internal. And in part because, uh, you know, the primary business development model within architecture and within, within professional services in general is the doer-seller model, which in other professions, they call it the seller-doer model because you have to sell before you can do. But I, I joke that architects are so freaked out by the sales word that you have to hide it behind the doer. It's doer-seller. So you have to enable a lot of people, or at least a couple, depending on the size of your company, to be out there selling to get the work that everyone else will be doing um so there, that's a there's a lot of internal organization and infrastructure building that goes along uh, along with that i'm imagining that all of your previous companies and current are open to change because you know knowing what you can do and i i'm assuming yes and no <laughs> for sure and i'm assuming it kind of mirrors your own you know like affinity for change so is is that something that you were conscious of, that they would receive your suggestions and like strategies that you would be supported in those roles? Yes. I mean, as I've gotten further in my career, in fact, that, has, that was something that got written in the Google Doc of like, I didn't, I didn't want to work for an organization where what I was doing was such a foreign concept that it would be a constant uphill battle. It's still not easy. I mean, business development is something that I think is 
not nearly understood or you have to understand before you can embrace. So it's not nearly understood enough in, in the A&E world. And therefore, it's not nearly embraced enough. And it's perplexing because I, you know, I, I, when, I, when I talk to my colleagues at SOM or when I'm talking to anyone about business development, I really think about it. It's about agency. It's about having, it's about designing the firm that you want and getting the work that you want to do. So I'm always a little bit confused when people think it's like some kind of dirty work. So I'm like, it has all of the influence of what you're going to get to design. I joke, I've been joking recently that like, um, that at some point in your life, in, your, in one's young life, your parents or someone in your life sat you down and explained to you where like where babies come from. But I don't think there's enough conversations in, amongst architects about where projects come from. And like, it shouldn't be such a hard conversation and it should certainly happen long before someone is at like a mid-career architect. And yet, and yet, and yet, I, I, I meet a lot of people who, especially when they're starting about thinking about to go off on their own, and they don't have a clue about how projects come into the firm where they work now. And I'm just kind of like, pump the brakes, my friend. Like, I know you want to go off and do something, but you don't want to go off not knowing at least something about this part of running a practice because it will be very painful for you. But that's, again, I think is, I know that kind of, you know, the out of, out of architecture spirit is about supporting people who are, who are going to try something new, who are thinking about it. I joked to Jake, to Jake and Aaron, like, part of me is interested in keeping some of those people in architecture and making sure that they can be part of the change that we need in this, in this profession. Um, but I think there is something to be said about if you're starting to get that itch and you want to leave, what are the skills that I can get where I am now? that will make that transition easier, whether that's a, a transition into having my own thing or a transition into like what you've done and, and, and others in, out of architecture have done a transition to a different industry. You know, to just hop blindly, to jump blindly. Some people can do it. Most of us either don't have a stomach for it or the penalty of doing that blindly is so high that it's just, I just wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, Tangents is a very good podcast name because I find that most of us, there's a, it's a wide spectrum of where we land in architecture. And actually, I like that you started this very confidently saying, I'm not an architect or like I, ha I haven't been an architect because actually I'm trying to hold on to it because it's such a big part of my identity. But there's so many roles that support the, the industry that and I, I really like where you are right now because you have so much influence on how that can be, especially going back to your first job where you said like the places that you want to work in. So someone that wants to create a good work environment and has the ability to impact the industry, like I totally agree with you that people who understand that intimately should be in those roles where they understand what the impact of their actions. Yeah, I mean, I would never, I would never like... Um fault someone there's so much uh, for leaving architecture there's so much guilt and there's so much like judginess when people leave a profession like architecture and i think that that's a real that's in it's revealing kind of some of the, the some of the real deep-seated challenges that you see in the profession so i i'm never gonna say don't go because every single person has to make the career decisions that are right for them um, but i do remember at like at big in particular there were always there was like a certain kind of person who came into big who was very entrepreneurial and who was in, and maybe 
uh, and then kind of the next place they would go after working at big was they would go and either do a MBA or go work for a real estate developer. And I mean, I was always like, cool, well, tell me more about this career. But, you know, there's there's almost a little bit of judgment when people do that. You know, the like, quote unquote, capital A architects like how, you know, why you go to, the, you know, they talk about going to the dark side or something. I'm like, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. Like, first of all, they're going to another side, right? It's not a dark side. They're going to another side of the built environment. But I do remember thinking, like, it was a shame that there weren't more career paths for people who were more business minded to bring those gifts and keep those gifts within the practice of architecture. I think we are seeing that. We are seeing kind of changes in the way that people are setting up their practices and running their practices, but not enough and probably not fast enough. So I would never, I would never tell those people stop leaving because they're leaving for very good reasons. But it, it, it always seemed like the, the profession was losing something because it was losing a type of person who had a lot of gifts to give, um, but wasn't seeing a place for those gifts to land. Yeah, maybe with this podcast, we can glorify those people that have gathered all these skills from being tangential or in architecture. Like just you don't have to. Like you don't have to create a drawing, like a drawing set, uh, like a hundred page documents to call yourself an architect. Like there's so many, there's so many people involved. There's an infinite number of people involved. But yeah, so maybe we can uh, celebrate these people, which is what we try to do with this podcast. But maybe it'll be like, oh, cool. You were an architect. What are you up to now? That's like, that's amazing. Yeah. How do you take those skills and and translate it to something else? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's so... Interesting. I like, I'm compulsively asking people when I meet people and I find out they're an architect at one point, I'm like, okay, tell me, <laughs> tell me what else you did. I do like a non podcast version of this podcast, which is just like interrogate people I know. I Ask love it. Lots of questions. Keep spreading it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel this from my own experiences that like for an opportunity to come your way, you really have to kind of like capitalize on that. You have to be ready. You have to jump on it, even though it's very new, maybe a little scary. And I think that's exactly where you want to be. Like, it's very exciting. And I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing to some extent, but I'm going to yeah. do it anyway. Like, that's yeah. exciting. Like for you, what is like being ready for an opportunity like for, in, for you, yourself? I mean, it's funny. I've had I've had opportunity. I've had times when I was making a decision between two roles. I won't put a time frame on it and I won't I won't say what the exact roles were because I, I don't want I'm have a lot of respect for the for the organization was that I didn't go with. But there was a point in my career where I had two job offers and one was a a role that was quite similar to the role that I had before. And the other was a different kind of role. And I was sort of agonizing over it. And ultimately I chose surprise, surprise, the one that was different because for me, I have re- I know that if I feel like I can do the job with my eyes closed, I'm not going to be there very long. Like I'm not going to feel stimulated. I feel I need to feel stimulated by doing things that are new and a little harder for me. Kind of like, okay, I, I know how to do those things. What's the next muscle that I'd like to exercise? So for me, that was like a, re- that's a really clear indicator when I'm making a decision about a role is that I know I'm not going to be satisfied if if it's something that I've done before, which is a good thing to know about yourself. <laughs> like if you're not that way, if you were very uncomfortable in a role where you 
haven't, where you don't think you can just nail everything, then you need to know that about yourself and, and then make decisions accordingly. But I, I know I'm not that person. During my career, I found out that architects will never know everything that they're doing. There's always like this learning curve on each project of something you just don't have to know. And then you have yeah. to master it. And you also won't know everything there is about what you do because we're generous. I did not realize that until like halfway through like my career journey. And yeah. I was like, and I, that was never comfortable with me. It always like gave me such anxiety that like I was, ex I felt I was expected to know things, but didn't realize that. And I wish I'd known that earlier. I don't think it would have changed anything. It would have just helped my like mindset exactly. throughout yeah. the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why like I, the projects that I work on are like a shorter time horizon usually than an architecture project. I mean, I probably like the longest I've worked on a specific lead for a specific opportunity was probably a year. And that, you know, those are kind of rare. Or I'd love that. It's, I'd love if all of us were doing kind of business development with a year, a year in advance. But um, not always the case. But it was always funny when I would talk to the architects and they're like, they're on the same project for, you know, five to 10 years, depending or complex or slow or project that they're working on. And I like, I can't relate to that. But then I, when I think about it, every big project has its mini projects. And like you said, every, you know, no building's going to be the same. You're going to learn, maybe it's a different typology. Maybe you've always done school buildings and this is a residential building, or you've always worked in New York and this one's in St. Louis. You know, like it, there's always going to be something new. But I guess I should, I should add a little asterisk to my previous statement, which was no job will always be 100% the same. And to, yeah, embrace that and to know that you're always going to be learning is a good, a good attitude to have. And finally, uh, how would you define success? Again, I'm putting the brackets around that we're thinking about career success here. There's a whole other sets of, of success. For me, career success is about, for me, feeling useful and engaged and stimulated and working towards a collective goal. I've, I've worked as a consultant on my own, which is really fun. There's a lot of benefits to that, but I also really like being part of an organization. Um, so there's a real social aspect uh, to what I do, not only because I'm doing business development and I like being out with people, but I like working alongside smart, talented people. And I think some of the most exciting and satisfying moments for me in my career have been getting to bring in or be part of the team that's bringing in opportunities for designers to do their best work. Uh, and then kind of ha handing that project over and then coming back and seeing like, this is what they, this is what they took that opportunity and turned it into this is the physical version of it. And that's, that's deeply satisfying. So that's how I think about success. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds amazing, actually. Like you're constantly making architects happy, <laughs> like a new yes. project to work on. <laughs> yes. But also, you know, you have to have a thick skin in business development because you don't win everything. <laughs> so you have to be, you have to be focused. Uh, and also optimistic that every time you lose it, okay, we're going to win the next one. We have another opportunity. So it's uh, a funny combination of realism and optimism in business development. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eben as much as I did. Now let's hear from Nora from the OOA team. My name is Nora El Hariri. I'm a bit of a jailable trades designer. I've been with Out of Architecture for about two and a half years where I manage digital design and design strategy. And then beyond that, I also do web design, visual design. I, in my free time, 
run a Arabic cooking workshop food collective with my friend in Los Angeles and uh, follow my passion in, in those ways. Thank you for all the work you do with Out of Architecture. It's amazing that everything that gets done and like the amount of ways that it exists in especially too. Yeah, there's a big team. Jasmine and Christy and Jake all also do a lot of work on a lot of other platforms. And then since you're such a big core part of Out of Architecture, can you give us a glimpse into like what you're excited about for the future or what's ahead? I'm really excited about the energy that the new advisors bring in. So I think their perspectives, their lived experience, their new ways of solving problems, the synergy that they all have together, that I think is what's really taking out of architecture to the next level. And I think it's what's going to really help it resonate with a lot more people. So the more representation and variety of experiences and diversity that we're able to bring to the out of architecture audience and community, the better because we're able to reflect more their experiences. Hey everyone, it's Aaron from Out of Architecture. If you find these stories inspiring and are looking for guidance, clarity, or just need someone to talk to about where you are in your career, please know that we offer 30-minute consultations to talk about what may be next for you. If you're interested, head to outofarchitecture.com slash scheduling to book some time with us. Hey everyone, it's Jake from Out of Architecture. We love hearing your stories but we know there's more out there that we've still yet to experience. If you or someone you know would be a good fit for the podcast and has a story about taking their architecture skills beyond the bounds of traditional practice, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at tangents at outofarchitecture.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast. New episodes every two weeks. See you then.